Hello and welcome to the second episode of Friends in Football, brought to you in association with Ladbrokes. That's our podcast here on Balls.e, where we're joined by a football personality and they're tasked with bringing in their best friend from the beautiful game to join the conversation. My own name is Gavin Casey and before we kick off, just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast and our other weekly football pod, that's the Balls.e football show with myself, Gav Cooney and Mikey Trainer on iTunes by simply searching Balls.e football and clicking podcasts. It really is that easy both of our football shows are also available on pretty much all other podcast providers but we're running a competition on itunes this week where one lucky listener who leaves a rating or a review of the balls on the football show or this very friends with football podcast will win two tickets to ireland's crucial world cup qualifier at home to wales this coming friday so yeah well we're getting involved uh, can you rate your own podcast actually Oh, no, our, our producer just made an extremely violent physical gesture towards me, so I'm not so sure that I can. Uh, it looks like I'm out of the running for that competition, but one of you at home can certainly win tickets to Friday's sellout at the Aviva. Best of luck with that. In keeping with the international football feel, this week's guest on Friends in Football is none other than former Ireland midfielder and current no BS punditry sensation Keith Andrews, who gave us a properly, properly fascinating insight into Ireland's Euro 2012 debacle, I suppose you could call it amongst other things. I really learned a lot about Ireland behind the scenes in that tournament from Keith. But his friend in football is none other than Jerry Reddy, who coached him at Stella Maris as a child and is currently a scout at Sheffield United. Jerry, like Keith, provided a really insightful take on Irish underage football and they shared some really good stories. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Here was Keith Andrews just giving us a brief intro to Jerry and a little bit of the influence that Jerry had on his career. Any any stories about Jerry to get out of the way before he's on air and can he might maybe tell you a couple. Like we had um, we had a couple of rascals in our team. So Jerry would have been my manager, stroke coach from under nines up until all the way until we finished the fifteen season before I left, and a lot of our team left. We were Stella Mars. We started off actually we were the home farm team, and then there was political reasons. Yeah, which I don't know to this day. I don't want to know. But we literally three quarter of the team up left down to Richmond Road, and we became Stella Mars, and then Jerry was um, Jerry's son played on the team with me. So that was a big reason why he pushed it and, and what have you. And um, he went above and beyond as a, as a as our underage manager, got coaching as we got that little bit older and he recruited very well, shall we say, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> to put it very, very politely. I will ask him, we'll ask him, yeah. Yeah, we'll <laughs> ask him about his recruitment policy. And he's actually gone on to be a scout for Celtic and I think he's currently with uh, Sheffield United. So yeah, ask him about his recruitment policy. Uh, so he always had an eye for talent then, Jerry. He did, yeah, and he was very good. He was um, very good to us as kids, and he really created a, a really, t- a real team. You know, yeah. first kind of team spirit that I was involved in, and even the parents' trips away, whether it was the Milk Cup, the Canary Cup, and in Norwich, um, it was uh, yeah. They were great times. They really were great times. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm looking forward to getting to that sort of part of your career where you, you're making this leap from Dublin and, and from Stellar Maris to uh, Stellar Maris, even to. England and even just the sort of difficulties faced from by players who are uh, embarking on similar journeys. I kind of want to start with the international stuff uh, because I'm sure Jerry will have plenty of stories about you in your youth, but uh, only you can speak for really your, your time with Ireland. And I mean, you rose to, to prominence, I suppose, on a national scale around 2008. You make your debut. Uh, you're you're 28 years old at that point, so you've you've already had quite an illustrious and and a long ish career. Mm. 
did you ever fear that the the moment wouldn't come where you'd get that call? And I mean, what was it like to get it at the age of twenty eight when you you maybe have a, a heightened sense of, of a sense of perspective? Yeah, I'd had, I'd had two really good years at MK Don. So this second year was was more prolific in terms of goals, and we won trophies. League two, we got promotion, and Pollins went to Blackburn. And he, he had always said to me, he will take me wherever he goes. There was championship clubs coming in for me um, in the January window and he asked me to stay until the summer. He moved to Blackburn and he said he'd take me. It took a little bit longer than, than I would have anticipated. Um, but that was really... Because I, I genuinely loved being at MK Dons. I was club captain. I loved the people there. Loved the staff, players, etc. And uh, I felt we could have kicked on with the, the nucleus of that team. But that the Ireland thing was just lingering in the background that if if I didn't move to minimum a championship team you know I'd never have an Irish career let's be realistic you're not going to be playing regular for your country in league one and league two so um, that was basically it and then thankfully got to Blackburn fairly quickly hit the ground running in terms of only in the door came on half time in the in my f- first game and more or less stayed in the team there was a B international which was which was good a good kind of intro, a good chance we played Nottingham Forest at Daly Mount Park. Um, stayed in the squad then, I think it was two or three of us stayed in for the rest of the squad, which was a qualifier, which I wasn't part of. But then the next month, I made me my debut against Poland, and 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 that was it. I was I was in for the for the rest of Mr. Trapattoni's campaign. Ever present in the 2010 campaign, and then uh, you, you obviously you're 2012. We sort of. <laughs> I think Irish football fans, in some ways, recall Trapattoni's era quite fondly. But then you look at what happened in the tournament, and I suppose it culminated in your red card against Italy. I think you acted in the way that a lot of fans felt. You, we see you walk off the pitch after getting a second yellow, and you boot something. Was it a bottle or something? A ball. A ball. Luckily, didn't hit anyone. Yeah. And we, I think the whole country kind of kicked that ball with you. Mm. And for a tournament that sort of promised so much for you guys and, and having done so well to get there, how do you, like, what happened in, in, in Poland and Ukraine? Like, what what, what went on? I, it doesn't sit well with me even to this day. I don't particularly like talking about it. I don't like, I'm, I very rarely think about it. If I do, comes into, if it does come into my head, I try and get it out as quick as possible because I, you know, you've, you've already mentioned that I didn't make my debut until I was 28. We missed out on the two te- 2010 and, obvious circumstances that have been well highlighted with, with a certain handball um, and then this was kind of I was 31 at the time you know you're not going to get many more opportunities if at all and the way it went it was it, it, it was horrible it was it just why was because looking back now at the time you don't know why looking back now we were only ever together for maximum probably 10 days and we trained very similarly you know there wasn't much thought went into you know the whole kind of preparation for games in terms of physically you know and we train we train at a, a really good intensity every single day whereas I think Italians continentals can train and they can manage themselves through sessions so days off mentally and physically aren't so much of an issue for for continental players we've seen a huge change in England in the last 10 years of that where there's a four-day build-up to a game where the traditional English <coughs> excuse me week will be you have a Sunday and a Wednesday off to, to give you that break. Whereas we trained full on for the guts of a month um, in the same fashion. But the, the alarm bells started ringing really with the, the nil-nil draw away to Hungary. You know, we were, I felt, and that's speaking from some of the lads as well, you know, we felt like we were playing treacle. 
Yeah. It was just no energy, no legs. Um, just that was the start of it. And then from them, it just it, 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 it snowballed really. And by that, when you get close to the tournament, then it's it's too late. And then within the space of 90 minutes, we were we were probably out of, out of the tournament with, with the way the game went. And so, like you're saying, the alarm bells go off for you in, in Budapest that time. <coughs> Do you take that uh, sort of a niggling doubt with you then into the tournament based on the fact that you, you felt like legs were a little bit tired, a bit heavy? Um, I certainly wasn't feeling great. I was carrying a bit of a knock as well, which I had to manage through it. Um, I, I roomed with Stephen Ward for the last couple of years of my, my um, career. We got on really well. And, and genuinely, I think if you asked all the lads, Irish squads have always gone on very well. But by the end of this tournament, like we literally couldn't stand the sight of each other because Sorry. we were that like we had that much cabin fever, you know, we were with each other non stop. There was no mental break, which I keep going back to. I ended up having to go in room on my own, just have my own space. And I quickly realised like this isn't going to plan, this isn't feeling good. And just from, from my own point of view, what I could control was I was like I'm not big in social media, I'm on no social media. I was going on fans forums, like apps like yourselves, to try and convert myself from being a player stuck in that hotel where you couldn't really get out and do anything to being a fan. So I was kinda closing my eyes and seeing all these pictures and of the fans, where they were, what they were up to, the crack that was going on and thinking about what I was like when I was a fan when I went to the World Cup in 94 with my family, the games I'd been to at the Aviva, watching the games on the TV, the big games. So I was quickly trying to transform myself into a fan to try and kind of grasp this huge opportunity that I'd waited and worked so hard for. But it was, um, yeah, very frustrating. Did you find that... I mean, you said you can't go out of the hotel. I mean, there's thousands of fans outside. Damien Duff compared it recently on Eamon Dunphy's podcast, I think, to Ayanapa. <laughs> What what did you make? Was it like, in terms of, from what you said there, it seems like it was almost like organisational issues as opposed to, say, tactical. Like that it was sort of doomed to failure based on what had gone on long before you took to the pitch against Croatia and against Spain and Italy. Well, organisational-wise, you know, the, I think there was, you know, because obviously, obviously we have the, the hugely highlighted Saipan issue in terms of the organisation. I felt with this one, there was a lot of, thought went into it in terms of we're going to be in Ireland first, we have the game then we go off to a training camp in Italy then we go from there to have a, a, a friendly in Budapest and then we make our way to, so in terms of the breakup, we weren't in one particular place for too long so with that regard and the quality of the hotels was was fine, it was just in terms of, I go back to, we were only ever together for 10 days maximum we've never been together for, I think it was 33, 34 days you can't train the same day in, day out. And I've also mentioned this before in the past. I've got huge respect and huge gratitude to Mr. Trapattoni. But and I kind of now as a coach, I look at it and think, well, if I had success now and in the next five years, huge success, which we he had in his, in his early career and for the majority of his career, would I change it or when would I change it? So I, I firmly believe he was doing the same things as he was doing probably... 20 years ago plus had the game arguably passed those tactics out though um, in terms of the preparation the tactics yeah you, you have to move at the times you have to evolve the best managers have done that someone like Alex Ferguson he was the constant and he changed the staff beneath that to keep it fresh keep it real new, bring new people in with new ideas that are hungry for success and he tapped into that 
I think that's what what the best ones do. Um, and in terms of us, I still I still feel his reign was a success. But for me, after Estonia, in terms of the qualification, it kind of started to to go downhill from then. When you look back now, at the time, obviously you're engrossed in it, you can't see it as clearly. But looking back from Estonia, it kind of it started to drift downwards from then. For sure. I mean, it's funny as well. Like I suppose that 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 um, the fact that you, you've used it as a success. I was going to ask you, having made your Ireland debut relatively late at 28. And then played at a major tournament like which not many Irish footballers ever get to do for for their country in such a short space of time. Even though the tournament itself went rather badly, do you still view that that couple of weeks as a sort of a pinnacle or a high point in your career, having gotten there? <coughs> yeah, very much so. It was kind of everything I did around club form was based around making sure I'm ready for Ireland. Like I walked away from an 18 month contract at Blackburn that was huge. Uh, issues in terms of the ownership the Venkies had taken over they wanted certain players off the way I'd walk away from 18 months on deadline day in January before the, the Euros and I only signed a six month deal at West Brom because that's all I was realistically on offer I think now looking back they knew Roy Hodgson was leaving to become the England manager so they didn't want to have a player that the next manager might not want um, so I walked away from that contract to, to be ready because I knew going to a manager like that who I'd had a chance to work with a Fulham before and it didn't quite work out. I knew I'd be fit, I knew I'd be sharp, I knew I'd be playing games and I knew I'd be working for a manager who would, who I would enjoy working for. So I sac- I went into that tournament with no job. Yeah. <laughs> Realistically. So it's, it's you know, that was made a huge sacrifice to, to make sure I was in the, the peak of my condition to try and be ready to, to maximise this glorious opportunity that I'd worked so hard for. Because, because yeah, it, it was the pinnacle of my career. Like that, <laughs> I suppose that frustration is is that there was like a, a frustration amongst fans as well. I think because we'd seen we'd seen you in Paris play so well, like a, a, like a brand of football that was attractive on the eye, and and it seemed successful. And it was the same in Tallinn. Did you feel obviously you, you view Trapattoni's era as a success, and 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 generally speaking, it was because we reached a major tournament. Did you feel at times though that tactically speaking as in his approach to football with that squad that like did you feel held back at all yeah, that you couldn't express yourself yeah and the obvious one is and Glenn Whelan still gets stick now which is absolutely ridiculous he look look at every week you check team sheets so if I'm working whatever game as soon as I'm travelling back from a game I check team sheets and you obviously have one eye on the Irish lads every single week for how many years he's been in the Stoke team you know good player but the, the thing that fans don't realise at times like and why certain people didn't make the squad or were, were pushed to one side was because they wouldn't buy into what the manager wanted you to do so on those one-off games where there's we're either a little bit desperate in, in Paris where we know we have to come back from a goal and down or Estonia we, we kind of feel like look this is our opportunity in the main you can't be going and doing your own thing to a degree and leave for me certainly leaving that midfield area to go and Get get beyond the strikers are, are certainly bombing out wide. You know, it's just it just wasn't in our um, in our philosophy, shall we say, on the on the Trapattoni. But when you did do it, was that of your own accord, or was it passed down from management? No, I think the players took it upon themselves, realizing the situation and the scenario we were in. That like we had really good leaders in that team, you know, and like I loved walking out the tunnel with the likes of Shea, Richard Dunn. Like, 
I love like I felt like a gladiator walking next next to him because I felt when he put on that jersey he was just an absolute man mountain for those four or five years that I played with him he was just colossal Robbie Duffer obviously I love playing with um, I just felt like we had those leaders were in the group and even the players that played in that team who like from like myself we we always seemed to play better when we played together that that group um, and was the football superb and brilliant to watch no of course it wasn't in the main but in terms of the results and how productive that four year period was going into the World Cup campaign and then the, the Euros campaign I genuinely think it was a success I thought at the time and I, I still stand by it now yeah absolutely it's, it's fascinating I mean it's it seems like at some of those games are, are still fresh in the memory even though now you look at them and it's like Jesus that was seven years ago <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> more wrinkles now <laughs> oh, I think uh, I mean we, we're going to have to go back further now uh, but back further into the past and speak to to Jerry which is something I've been looking forward to uh, to all day um, Jerry how are you getting on I'm not bad yeah I'm not bad at all uh, yeah, I'm currently working for Sheffield United at the moment anyway. And um, I've worked in the past. I really only managed in Stella Maris with Keith. And then I went to Bohemians for about four years after that. And then I got out of management as such and I just scouted for various clubs in England. So that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm with Sheffield United. But um, uh, a lot of the old guys, the old guys that I know, have left Sheffield United now, so I just don't know what the future holds. So we'll see anyway in the in the near future. Very much so, yeah. Uh, Keith, why is why is Jerry your your port of call here? Why is your he your friend in football? Would you say? Um, just thought he played a very. I was chatting to you pretty before we started this, and you know, I yeah. I encourage kids. The first thing you've got to with kids about football, any sports, somewhere about football. You've got to enjoy it, and Jerry was really pivotal in terms of creating an atmosphere. Um, and I mentioned as well, not just with the players, but with the families as well. And that, like my mum and dad, still speak about to this day. And I'm sure Jerry would be the same. And the other parents, like they genuinely loved it. The trips we went away on, the training sessions, like we'd be training, and then like there'd be like ten parents back in my my mum and dad's house having ham sandwiches and cups of tea and and biscuits. Um, and he just he had that knack of creating, and we had a real diversity as well, which I'm sure Jerry will might, might tap into in terms of the, the, the players that we had, different areas, different parts of Dublin, lads coming up from the country. Um, Killer, yeah, lads coming up from the, <laughs> anywhere in the pale. <laughs> yeah, and uh, no, they were just they were genuinely great times, and I absolutely I loved them, and I just think when you when you're that age and you see it now, certainly the options and the. How, how spoiled kids are this generation there's so many options on, onto them that if we don't create an environment for them to and it's enjoyable they just they just leave it you know so I just Jerry was an obvious one I, I thoroughly enjoyed the whatever it was six seven eight years that we had at Stella Maris and they were they were great times Jerry did you reckon Keith would go on to have the career he did when you first laid eyes on him in uh, Stella Maris tell the truth well the first Jerry. time I saw him I think he was about eight or nine and I, I knew immediately he was he was going to be really influential. We had a we had a really good side, uh, and I I think Keith came into it after about a year, but he made a, an absolutely massive difference up through the years because he was the most constructive player I found in the DDSL at the time. But as time went on, it proved that he was uh, certainly the best midfielder in Ireland. And then we went abroad to England, 
and I saw different things happening in games that I wasn't sort of aware of because when I when I came involved in football originally it was like a, a sort of my son was there I had Stephen playing for me and um, and then I took charge of this team and I just wanted to I just wanted to make it fun for everybody but I wanted us to to be a winning side but Keith just went on we had other lads like Richie Partridge and Matthew McManus who fellas Matthew I added and Peter Rogers fellas like that I added as the years went on but Keith was still the, the major influence and I actually told him that he doesn't remember this I said to him when he was about 12 or 13 that he was going to be the captain of every side that he ever played for now I think he, he's nearly done that except the Irish team I think he's the second youngest that ever uh, second youngest captain in Wolves but uh, I could see those leadership qualities in him and though it wouldn't be right to have him as the captain every year, I sort of made him the captain every second year. <laughs> you don't sort of do that with kids. You have to get, you have to change it around. And um, but he was the major influence, even when somebody else was the captain. But uh, I just noticed that as as time went on as a footballer, um, the things that I saw in, in him that nobody else had in this country was that he was just he could just get the whole team moving. Everybody, the right winger, the left winger, the centre forward, everybody, it all revolved around Keith. And what I was saying to you previously about where I noticed, like a lot of the, the Irish teams that we played against didn't cop that it was Keith was the main man because everybody tried to mark Richie Partridge out of the game or Matthew McManus or somebody like that. In one game, there was, I know there was three guys actually marking Richie Partridge in a league game, in a top league game. But it was only when we went to England and we played against English teams like Everton and Liverpool and all these, and we beat them all. And I started hearing the English guys saying, you know, stop the guy in the middle, stop him, because he was the secret. He was, he, Richie was a fantastic player and the others were fantastic players, but it was Keith that was the one that gave them the ball. And he was the one that, he was the catalyst for to, to make us win so many games. And he was crucial to it. Now, when I speak to him now, he, he sort of says he wasn't the best player. He only said that to me today. But I think he was the most influential player in the team. It's hard to say who was the best because they were all... Like, as I added players on, these fellas came in. I added Mark Birch on one year and in his first game, he scored five goals. <laughs> so it's very difficult to say who was our best player, you know. So I'd rather just say Keith was the most influential. He was certainly the best midfielder in Ireland. There's no doubt about that. And uh, and he was captain. I think they were captain 15, Keith, three under yeah, 15, the four stories team. Is that right? Uh, that's right. Keith's getting emotional here, Jerry. Yeah, just yeah, uh, I'm relying <laughs> in. <laughs> Did you? They're getting soft to me. He couldn't legs. be, but that, to tackle but, a few people. No, but that's how that's how good he was. But what he was saying about the families was I just had to get the families involved because uh, it's a really, really hard job when you're the best side around. It's a really hard job if you don't have parents on your side. I see a lot of happening in clubs now where they don't want to even talk to the parents. But I used to involve, I'd go on, we'd certainly go on one trip every year, but sometimes you went on two, and I'd involve the parents to give me a hand, and I made it a sort of a, a family type of a thing. Now, they wouldn't have anything to do with training the team, picking the team, or anything like that. They wouldn't have influence on me from that point of view. But they'd be among us. You know, we went away to Norwich and a couple of times, and we went to the Milk Cup, and I'd have the parents right beside me, you know, and they'd have a great time. Sometimes it was their holiday, their summer holiday. 
but they were absolutely fantastic times. Now I have to say that. Jerry, do you find that as the game has changed, and I'd like to ask you as well, and Keith, about, um, I mean, considering your both of your respective experience in, in underage coaching, how it's become more difficult for Irish players to go to England and make it. But just before that, do you find that as the game has changed, that parents have almost changed, that maybe parents are influenced by looking at uh, teenage players in the Premier League, driving uh, great cars, making a lot of money, and can sometimes lose sight of what's actually best for the kid? Yeah, well, I suppose Kate may be better uh, talking about that than me, but certainly what what I would have seen is that it was a different era with Kate. It was a, uh, Kate's era was completely different to now, in that um, in his time, Roy Keane had made it. He'd come from Cove Rounders, gone to Forest and I think he got man of the match in his first game for Forest against Liverpool and then he got a big money deal to Manchester United so what happened was all these heads of recruitment in academies around England started coming to Ireland looking for the the new Roy Keane so that's the way it was at the time I mean I used to get probably five six phone calls a day from England looking for Keith to go over on trial, Richie Partridge, Matty McManus, all, all the fellas on the team. I don't like changing anybody else, but they were looking for them all. And then I'd organise a trip where I sort of brought my whole team. Uh, we played Liverpool, um, Everton, Blackburn, Blackpool, Tranmere Rovers. We played those five games in five days. So I exposed the team to England as much as I could, rather than just the top players get trials. So that helped a lot of them get away. But things have, have, ch- have moved on since then in England. Like There's a hell of a lot more continental players playing now than there was then. So there's less opportunities. It's just I, I still think we're um, producing really good players. It's just that not many of them go away because it's, it's you know, there's agents involved now, which is a lot different than, than before. There's never really agents involved when Keith was young. But that's the way it's gone now. And they sort of, they pick certain kids and then send them away to about 10 clubs or something like that. It wasn't like that in Keith's day. But, um, I totally I've, agree, I've Jerry. I found myself that... I think, we've, I think we're creating really, really good players now. I've been involved with the, the underage teams for the last 18 months or so. And I think the, the level mm. of players now in terms of technique the tactical awareness that they have that they the coaching clearly has been better uh wherever they've been yeah um and i think now if they don't go at 15 16 the infrastructure is better than certainly when i went in terms of a league of ireland league of ireland schoolboy football so there's still that platform for them to continue you know when 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 i left on that we finished under 15 probably half the team left didn't they so then you were left with I yeah. would imagine some yeah. players that became a little bit disillusioned with, well, half the lads are gone. Why, why are we even bothering carrying on here? Yeah, well, I, I, the team, you went at the end of the under-15 uh, age group. So I, other players went at the end of the under-16 age group. And then I would have to get replacements for those fellas. And some of the replacements went at the end of the under-17 uh, league. So, I mean, it was just a fantastic age group as well. And then I brought the rest of them, I brought them up to, to Bohemians. And uh, they played in the reserve league against men. And they were only 17 years of age and became runners-up in the first year with all those lads. So, like, it was, 
I wasn't bad at recruitment, you know. I was good. At, I, was good <laughs> I had mentioned that to you, that your recruitment. Seven, what didn't really surprise me when you went into scouting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was singing, singing, singing your praises with regards to uh, recruitment, Jerry. I'm interested as well by the idea of actually bringing a full team to England. So essentially, I mean, shop window is the wrong term, but they are all exposed to anybody who is looking at this game as opposed to players being hand-picked and brought over. Do you feel as though that's still going on to the same extent now? Or was that something that maybe you had you were doing yourself and, and maybe wasn't necessarily being done by other Irish clubs? Well, a lot of the big clubs did it, you know, but certainly Stella Amaris was the best club in Ireland at the time. And uh, we, you know, a lot of the, the other teams went as well. Like this weekend, St. Joseph's under 12s are going over to play Manchester United, Manchester City and Liverpool. So it still happens, but I just think that in 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 my day, the trip that I ran to, like we before before we even went to that trip against Liverpool and Everton and all like that, they'd already been over at about under eleven and played against Everton and a South African team and uh, just a boys club team from Liverpool, and then they'd played in two Canary Cups and got to the final. I think we got to the final in one of them. We did. Uh, yeah. We definitely got to the final. We were beaten on penalties. Uh, by Celtic so like you know these kids had, had great exposure to, to England you know I have to say not much more I mean they wouldn't have got great exposure to Europe but they got great exposure to England they played by the time they were 14 they'd beaten nearly every English team that they played you know so I mean it was it was fantastic for them but it is still happening now but it's just that the kids just don't get take there's less space for them now in English teams you know, there's certainly less space, um, and that's why less of them go away. Is there a way? Is there a solution to to, to fix that, Keith? I mean, it's a, look. I mean, that's a million dollar question for sure. But are there steps that within the infrastructure of Irish football we can take to give these kids a little bit of a boost, get them back into the, uh, I suppose the. The consciousness of English scouts and English clubs. Oh, I think they're very aware of the, the the qualities that Irish players bring. I just think that that net now has been tossed so far and wide in terms of the recruitment. You know, the lads that will go over now at 15, 16, they'll have teammates that are South American, European, from everywhere everywhere across yeah. the globe. So this is this is the issue that you're having. You know, we are. I think we're producing as good, if not better, players now than we ever have. But the opportunities have become smaller and smaller. So what you'll find is there'll just be that natural knock-on effect. The championship will obviously get stronger and bouncing on from that. I think the League of Ireland will continue to get stronger and stronger, certainly with the national leagues that we're putting in place and more governance of coaches have to have certain licences. Um, but it's it's a very, very tough industry that, that these young lads are getting into. Yeah, you and I were speaking beforehand, Keith, about... Jack Byrne, who had come up at City and, and was um, was highly regarded. Uh, then you're looking at the way things have gone, obviously, in, in the modern game, and all of a sudden, Gabriel Jesus is brought in for big money. He's a teenager, and it's very hard for even, say, the likes of Tyreek Wilson, who's in the City Academy now and was training with the first team recently, called up by Pep Guardiola, who obviously uh, regards him very highly. But then all of a sudden they'll bring in some 40 million centre back or, or another player in, in the near future. So uh, what's, <laughs> what do Irish players do then? Is it just you, you sort of take your chances at sort of clubs in a lower echelon of football and try and build your way back up the way maybe 
Connor Howran has done at, uh, now at Aston Villa, but uh, having been at Barnsley. Uh, I don't think there's a set there's a set rule. I think you need to be adaptable. There's no right or wrong answer. You know, Tyreek Wilson, I am sure, is getting an amazing education in football. Now, the biggest thing for me is that when, for instance, when I was first team coach at MK Dons and 21s coach at MK Dons, when we did get loan players off the big boys, the Chelsea's, the Man City's, sometimes we encountered a little bit of an attitude issue with them, as in, I'm doing you a favour to be here. Really, are you? Yeah. How many league games have you played? None. But pipe down and start working. They've been spoiled a little bit at these places. Um, whereas if you go lower league, you need to make it, you know, or else you need to make it at that team because when you drop off that rung of the ladder, <clears throat> you haven't got many places to go. But for Tyreek Wilson, and by all accounts, the attitude that he has, he's getting a very good education. When he does go on loan, which I'm sure he will at some stage, he needs to make a name for himself at that level, whatever it is, League One, Championship, whatever level he goes to. But he needs to go into that building, roll his sleeves up, because he's not going to be getting chauffeur driven in and out like he might have been at Man City. He's got to get the bus there. He's got to get trains there. He's got to wash his own kit. He's got to make his own lunch, etc. And these are issues and these are values that I think are really important to young players. So, for instance, with Jack Bourne now, I think he's gone to the right club. I think Warren Joyce will be good for him. I didn't think he went to the right club in the summer in terms of the system they play. Owen Coyle, traditionally a 4-4-2 man. For me, Jack Bourne, the little that I know of him, needs to play in a three-man midfield. So I never felt it was going to really be the right club for him. So hopefully he kicks on from now. Jerry, you've worked with uh, an awful lot of young players. Would you agree with that from Keith that there is no one way, one one sort of uh, process to follow that it's, it's down to the individual and, uh, you know, Work players basically have to work hard uh, in an individual respect. Right, yeah. Well, there's two ways to go. I mean, if you're a really, really top player here, you know, there's you either go to the Manchester Cities of this world and say if you don't make it, but then you might get a chance in Sheffield United, or you go to Sheffield United and you try and work your way up and get into the first team there. Uh, so you can either go either of those ways, but certainly now, uh, which has changed from when Keith was young, was that uh, certainly there is a pathway now for kids to play in the League of Ireland, uh, which is a hell of a lot better than it was in his day. Because even when I went in, in a long, long time ago and took over the reserve team in, in Bowes, like nearly all the reserve players were 27 and 28 and 29 and even older than that. And they would rather play for the Bowes reserve team than go down and play, say, junior football or something. So there was no pathway for kids who didn't go to England. You know, they couldn't just they, they go into the reserve team and Bowes or Rovers or Shells or wherever it was, and they just couldn't get anywhere. So I sort of changed that in Bowes. But now, now you've got the under-17 and under-19 league, and it's really well run. Um, but uh, I speak to Pat Duffy from time to time, and, like, you know, the fixtures are all laid out. You know where the games are. They'll start on time. The grounds will be proper grounds. Um, you'll have referees and linesmen. You just wouldn't believe what I, I went to in, in, well, it was 25 years ago, or never, wherever it was, and I took over. I mean, Waterford didn't turn up for a game one time against Bowles, and I was asked, would we share the points? Were you feeling generous, Jerry? They didn't turn up, you know. And uh, it's not like that now. Everything is... Re- so... So the Jack Burns of this world now, or whoever it may be, young Jordan Doherty that's just gone to Sheffield United, he would have had, um, if he didn't go to us, 
um, he would have had a pathway into the League of Ireland through the under-17 league and then the under-19 league. And they've got really good coaches, as Keith has, Keith has gone through it uh, more than I have. Well-qualified coaches. And, and then the Irish team now has exposure to people like Keith. And I see Damien Duss and all those types of lads that, that are involved now. It's fantastic to see them. Like, everything has changed so much since Keith was a lad. Um, and now they have this two pathways. They have the pathway to England, which I'm not sure is great for everybody. Um, uh, but they have the League of Ireland to come back to. And hopefully now it's, well, it's going under 15 now um, yeah. from this June. And they say now in a few years after that, it's going to go under 13. But I'm not sure about that one now. But we'll wait and see. We will indeed, but wait and see. Is there an argument to be made, Jerry, that considering what we've seen from Daryl Horgan and Andy Boyle recently moving to Preston in sort of their early to mid twenties, that players, well, obviously players can benefit from from uh, stay, remaining in the League of Ireland for a little bit longer than had been the case previously. I mean, Keith and I were talking about, say, David Moyler, who arrived at Sunderland having never played a senior game for Cork City, for example. Um, now we're starting to see that paradigm shift a little bit towards getting a bit more experience at senior level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I just think it depends on the player. You know, um, they're all different. I mean, I know, for instance, in a, a conversation uh, with John Aldridge years ago uh, when he was the manager of Tranmere Rovers, John Aldridge said to me that uh, nobody should come to nobody should expect to get into the first team in, and that was Tramie Rovers who would have been in the the championship if you want to call it it was the, the second division at the time he felt that um, every kid would have to serve an apprenticeship in England his his idea you now it may have changed but that's what he said to me at the time and that's that was the whole idea in England they'd have to go over at 15 or 16 and they'd have to do the three years or whatever it was whatever uh, contract they got and they'd have to wash the boots, clean the boots, and do all that sort of stuff. Come up through that for to be able to make it in England. Um, it all seems a bit crude, but you know, certain people still think like that. Um, but I saw Daryl Horgan only a few months ago uh, playing against Cork in the league, and he was absolutely fantastic. I mean, a blind man, the galloping horse, put it saying that he he could make it in England, and you know. Maybe not at the Premiership, but certainly where he is now at Preston. And I think that the under nineteen, under seventeen, under nineteen leagues are developing players. One hundred percent, they are. Because, no, the no expo- because, because <clears throat> of the exposure, you know. Yeah, and and you, I go back to the it's it's on the individual. Some players go away at fifteen, sixteen. They're not ready for it. emotionally maturity, yeah. and it can ruin them, and it it can yeah. make them hate football. Whereas if they haven't got that right support network around them, when they bet, when they drop down, they they just don't become inter- they're, they're not interested in football anymore. Whereas if they wait that time, some of them are more intellect. Bang, there you go. You go and get your education. We have the platform now. Finish your leaving cert, whatever you want. If you want to study a degree while you go over, or whatever it is, now they have way more options. I'm intrigued by, by Jerry saying there, I mean, and it, it is a story that we hear often that when Irish players go over to serve these apprenticeships, you end up cleaning boots as is sort of tradition in football, generally speaking. But then you're talking about some of the young lads that you might have worked with who are coming over thinking they're doing the Irish underage team a favour by, by flying over. So are they necessarily being subjected to the same harsh lessons that you might have been, say, when you arrived in England? No, well, it's changed drastically. Look, when I was there, I was getting told I was lucky that I was only cleaning toilets and boots, whereas... 
you know the, the senior pros that we had the likes of Keith Curl and Steve Bull they were painting stadiums you know so it's, <laughs> it's a knock on effect generation to generation the lads that go over now I, I still don't think there's there's anything wrong in having certain tiers and you know if you are in a U team having certain duties you know that it depends on the category of the of the academy in England now Cat 1, Cat 2, 3 etc um, the, the the northern teams the Cat 3 type teams they seem to be a little bit more real and still have that type of you know, you, you've got to earn to get to the next step, right? You get to the reserves or the twenty trees it is now. Now there's no cleaning boots or whatever. But society has changed. It's not just football that has changed. But I, I still don't think there's anything wrong with when you do go over. I have you serving in inverted brackets your apprenticeship, even though it's not particularly now. That you you, you have to learn respect for for the next level. It shouldn't just be given to you like like straight away. You know, you have to earn things. Is it? Uh, I mean, we, we, you, you told us of uh, of Keith's own talent back in the day. Do you have any sort of uh, stories about Keith? What we have him here, you know, a little bit of uh, scallywaggery, or was he generally a well-behaved young chap? Oh no, he was, he was well-behaved. He was very well-behaved. Uh, he's, 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 he's fist exactly, pumping here. Yes, we were we were in the milk cup. We were in the milk cup one year, and um, you've got to understand, you know, that we're playing against Manchester United and all these type of clubs and who had professional coaches and they had a big coach as well as in wheels on it and we were there on a little bus type of thing with all the parents and it was was good fun now but one night uh, all the parents went off and just myself and Kevin Corcoran who helped me and Frank Cartwright the three of us were downstairs and uh, all the kids we went up to them at 10 o'clock we were playing Manchester United the next day and I went up at 10 o'clock uh, upstairs to make sure they were all in their beds, and they were. So we just went downstairs, and we sat down having a cup of tea or whatever. It was a, it was like a, a temperance place that we were staying in. It was non-religious, but there was not a lot of people going around with Bibles and things like that. But at about 11 o'clock, I, uh, we didn't hear, you know, you always had one of them coming down the stairs to say they have a headache or whatever or can I get a drink or whatever it was but then none of them would come down so I went up at 11 o'clock and there wasn't one of them in the place they'd all gone down the fire escape and gone down and they were down in the in, in the amusement place Keith was going around in, in one of the the cars you know the bumper cars and they were, were cars and all this so that was that was the type of preparation I had to play Manchester United the next day you know so did we win? <laughs> he'd, probably, he'd probably tell you a few orders. Yeah, yeah, we won. All right, but yeah, no, it, it was it was oh, look, it was great fun when they think back in it. But sometimes, sometimes it wasn't. You know, sometimes you took it was be serious. Some of the things that the fellas would do because you're talking about having sixteen or seventeen kids from all parts of Dublin, as Keith has already explained, Richie. You know, there are different types, and there was quiet types, and then there was slow. Really mad types, as Keith to tell you. I can't tell you on, on the radio. But, uh, you know, to have those with you now, I can tell you, to look after them for a week, you know, you nearly need a week in, in the hospital yeah. when you I've just back. gone to the other side of it, you know, Jerry, now, haven't I? Yeah. Obviously, with, with, with our underage teams, I've been in with our 15s, 16s, 17s, and 18s over the last year. And it's this is the first time I've coached in academies in England, but that's literally you turn up, you're there for a couple of hours, and, you, and you're gone, and you're not responsible. When you're responsible for a group of lads like that and yeah. I'm and I'm looking at them and the staff what we have are, are a lot more experienced in terms of dealing with underage groups and I look at them and I think there's no way they're capable of that and then they, they, they just say well what were you like were you 15 
yeah, they're getting locked up. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> exactly. And and you weren't the worst, but you were the leader. You know? <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Always, yeah. they, was always a leader, you know. So first they, down the fire escape. Send <laughs> someone else first. <laughs> there yeah, you go. Yeah, That's yeah. leadership again for you. <laughs> he would have been the first down. Uh, <laughs> but they also they also took the boards out under under the mattress on the bed, and uh, and again I think we were playing Everton or somebody like that the next day, and Billy got into the bed and sure the mattress he was you know they were they were uh, uh, what you call them I can't think of the name but now high beds but they took beds. the boards out. So when Brian got into the bed, the mattress just went straight down, you know, <laughs> down about four feet or something like that, you know. But uh, look, that's what kids are going to do, and they're probably more well behaved now, kids, are they? I when hope so. Yeah, well, they tell me they are anyway. <laughs> there you go, Jerry. We won't keep you any longer. It's been an absolute pleasure getting some of those uh, some of those stories. I mean, even the uh, even the serious stuff was actually enjoyable, you know. <laughs> but to finish on a high was was quite yeah, nice. Yeah. Keith, Keith's looking a little bit nervous over on the other side of me. Here, so yeah, <laughs> for those stories, thanks, Jerry. <laughs> Jerry, thanks a million. Good luck at the rest of the season, and obviously okay. uh, keep keep the eye out for uh, for okay. that talent that you're talking about. Best of luck. Thanks a million. See you, pal. Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks. See you, Keith. Bye bye. Uh, that was that was fascinating. I mean, you, you can just tell from uh, from from that conversation how sort of ingrained he is in Irish football. Mm-hmm. Like, he, you know, it's it's funny kind of hearing him going like, well, sometimes it wasn't great, you know. But yeah. he's a man the that responsibility of, of course of the group yeah. like that, and it, and I would imagine like the organising training. This is before he had mobile phones, you know. Yeah. So trying to get people on house phones, much imagine that like not being able to just send a group WhatsApp or a group email or whatever like we can do now, like phoning around all these parents and oh look train has been changed from this time to that time and organising who's bringing who in the cars across you know, the M50 wasn't there then yeah. so all these types of factors so yes there was great times and I remember them and, and probably my parents like even even things like fundraisers they used to raise all the money themselves you know it wasn't Stella Mars it was it was Jerry and the parents who raised like us as an individual team were in the club to go and play these games against going 12 years of age going and playing against Liverpool and everything it's like it's unbelievable. After a I mean, quick night on the dodgems, you know. Exactly, <laughs> quick night on the dodgems, and we just go and kick whoever it was. Match Fletcher. Speaking of uh, of WhatsApp groups, I, I read recently that the Italy squad from 2006, the World Cup winning squad, have a WhatsApp group. Do you still have a? Do you have an Ireland one? No, I've 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 been on. I'm on no social media, and I've joined WhatsApp two months ago. Are so, you saying you haven't been invited to the WhatsApp group? That probably that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I've only been on WhatsApp for two fair months. Fair enough, fair enough. Because of, of a course I'm on, I kind of got bullied into it a little bit. So I've tried to put it off for years and years, just keep it simple, text and emails. But I'm I'm into that now. But as far as I know, I don't think there's a group. No. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Well, I mean, like on the on the subject of, of technology and, uh, well, from small screens to uh, slightly larger ones, you sort of made your punditry debut last year. Uh, you, you were doing a little bit here and there, but then it was like this, all of a sudden Keith Andrews was co-commentator in the FA Cup on TV3 FA Cup final yeah. and we're sort of saying like is, it, is that Keith Andrews I think that's Keith Andrews but the reviews and the sort of I think acclaim you got was, was quite startling really for somebody who was who was new to it because I think people's perception of it was that you weren't sort of bored like a lot of co-commentators and analysts can sound you were excited to be in the stadium and passionate about it and, and just not afraid to call it basically as as you saw it how did you find it how do you still find it and is it something that you're going to continue doing for the foreseeable future even with coaching and etc yeah i think so i've got a nice balance at the moment i i, I love coaching um so 
what I'm doing with the underage teams is is very um very dear to me. I'm, I'm really involved in that. But with the the punditry, it's yeah, it's look, it's a bit of fun, you know. It's I'm especially when coming and doing things like this. You're just chatting, you know. You, it's your life anyway. Football's your life, so uh, you read up on things anyway. As long as you do, you go into a particular game, you know what you're talking about. Then it's very much about your opinion and why you why you're there is again in inverted brackets your so-called expertise on this game. So a little bit of a bugbear I have is that a lot of them sit on the fence, and I said it to you a while ago. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with as it happens. I think it's a red card. <clears throat> I think it's a foul. Whatever it is, you see your fourth or fifth replay. It's easy, but then, isn't it? You, you can get it wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with calling it wrong. Whereas I think so often now we're kind of in that loop of, oh, let's make sure we're we're, we're exactly right with this and how we call it because we might get an email or a tweet in from someone <laughs> in Baghdad saying it's it was the, it was the wrong wrong way. So who cares? So, you yeah yeah. I'm enjoying it. I have to say I, I enjoy working with. The people I work with, um, and um, yeah, for the time being, I'm I'm very content. Did you enjoy the upper match version of yourself? <laughs> because a lot of people did. Yeah, was, look, I think it's brilliant. I've always been a fan of it. So when it comes like to be you, <laughs> you can't. You've say, made it. Yeah, well, to a degree, that's what everyone was saying. It was. I found it quite complimentary. It was. I don't know. They're obviously they've um, got a huge folk. Uh, following and I, I, I'm one of those so I've met them a couple of times and yeah, I thought it was brilliant yeah I know it was fairly spot on well uh, Keith Andrews it's been an absolute pleasure uh, really enjoyed the chat with yourself and our thanks to you our thanks to Jerry as well Jerry Reddy for taking the phone call I'm sure he'll he'll um, keep doing what he's doing and uh, now you've sort of joined him on what yeah, was on maybe once the dark the side to yeah. you you know now yeah. you're the supervisor as well and, I know uh, you know nothing when you're on that other <laughs> side I'm telling you you need to go <laughs> on to the dark side with your lightsaber and then yeah. you start seeing and you've, you've got a, a couple of important qualifiers coming up in, in the coming months as well. Yeah, so last week we were in Spain with the 17s as a bit of a build-up. And next month we're in Cyprus um, for our qualifiers against uh, the Faroe, Slovakia and Cyprus. We get through that and we're at a European Championships in, in May, which will, which will be very nice. Sweet ass. Well, we wish you the best of luck with it. And uh, sincerely appreciate you taking the time out to join us in here on Thanks, Friends of Football. All the best. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you.